Welcome to the Why on Earth Community's Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. Today, we have the opportunity to visit with Ludovica Martella. Hi, Ludovica. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. Great. It's so great to have this opportunity to visit with you. And here we are in the new school in New York City. We'll talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we dive in, just let me uh, introduce you to our audience. So Ludovica Martella is a researcher currently enrolled in a post-master's degree in sustainability strategy at the New School in New York City, where she is focusing on indigenous ecology and environmental justice. Ludovica also holds a master's of arts in international relations from the Milano School of Policy, Management and Environment at the New School and a bachelor's in journalism from Fordham University. Ludovica's work focuses on the repercussion of climate change on minority groups such as women and indigenous people. In the past, she has worked with United Nations Women and the UN Development Program in promoting and implementing the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, on these very topics. Currently, she is an adult mentor for the youth climate organization, This Is Zero Hour, one of the leading organizers of the global climate strike, which happened on September 20th of 2019, just earlier this year. So Ludovica, it is uh, such a joy to have this opportunity to visit with you. And uh, looking forward to sharing your work and your vision, your mission, your uh, knowledge with, with our audience. And I thought, you know, maybe just by way of jumping in, I might ask you, here we are in the new school, tell us just a bit about this place, what's going on here, why are you here? Sure, Um, glad to be here. Um, The new school is actually a very um, special place because um, it was founded on principles of uh, um, equality uh, between people, between ideas. So um, the new school is actually celebrating its 100 years of new. Uh, Mm. And this is because uh, um, here we really want to focus on new ideas. So what it means is that all of our professors uh, are focused on the idea that we don't have to follow the traditional teachings of uh, the colonizer world Mm, as mm. we call it Mm -hmm. Um, but there is more so that's why I'm here I'm studying indigenous ecologies something that uh, unfortunately I found while I was browsing uh, through programs uh, I found it to be very rare to find um, a university with such a rich program in uh, indigenous cultures uh, indigenous rights and history uh, and therefore, this is why I'm here. Mm, absolutely beautiful. And it, given that it's the 100-year anniversary, it tells us that the new school was founded right around the time of World War One, right? And th- there's a really special history there that I think it'd be great to share with folks. Absolutely. Yes, the new school was founded uh, because uh, uh, groups of intellectuals that were fleeing Europe mm. um, needed a place where they could actually aggregate uh, and teach Mm -hmm. and write. Um, So therefore, uh, 
they formed the new school and they called it the new school because of that because they wanted to uh, really create a, a group of people that were was against uh, all of the persecution that was happening in Europe at that time um, and still today we get very um, radical ideas here that you probably wouldn't get in more traditional universities um, and I'm including you know also universities from my home country uh, of Italy um, which is obviously very traditional um, and yeah. Well I love it and I love the word radical right because it actually comes from Latin Rax radix, meaning roots, and uh, there's uh, some very important connection there, right? Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, so let's start diving into this work you're doing around the sustainable development goals, how it's affecting different peoples, and uh, perhaps you could kind of kick it off by explaining uh, what are the sustainable development goals and why why are they important sure so the sustainable development goals uh, are a set of 17 goals uh, that were established in 2015 by the united nations um, and they symbolize different causes but they all actually connect around climate action and this is something that sometimes people miss because um, the Sustainable Development Goals, also called SDGs, or perhaps people um, might have heard of them with the term Agenda 2030. Um, they uh, are really all different but connected. So for example, there's no poverty, zero hunger, good mental health, uh, good physical health, gender equality, peace and security and so on. So they might seem all different, but they're all very much connected. And this is something that, um, yes, sometimes people don't really think about because um, it's obvious people might have a preference, a personal preference because of their uh, personal history towards one cause uh, more than another one. Mm -hmm but it's important to recognize the connection between them. Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems that there's so much important work being done by so many organizations and leaders, particularly around how climate crisis and other environmental uh, crises are impacting peoples all over the world and most particularly peoples of color, peoples from the global south, indigenous peoples yeah. and women, right? And and this is obviously a big part of your work. Absolutely. Yes, um, so this is something that I love to talk about because um, throughout my research uh, I, I realized uh, really how all of these goals uh, interact between each other, which is something that, um, to be fairly honest, I didn't quite uh, grasp from my textbooks uh, or from even some of, of the work that I share um, with um, colleagues um, because I worked at several UN agencies and each agency really focuses usually on one or two goals but by mixing my experience at work with also my studies uh, I really had this uh, Aha moment, let's say. Hmm. So, and we can think about this, for example. Um, 
So the most recent report uh, from the IPCC, which is in the International Panel uh, on Climate Change, right. yeah. um, really shows some drastic estimates uh, of climate change, uh, which only confirms what scientists have been saying for years. Um, all of these climatic causes, uh, so for example, already the factor that we are at 1.1 um, um, Celsius degrees uh, warmer in the atmosphere than the pre-industrial levels, so uh, I'm referring to the Industrial Revolution, is causing drastic climatic effects. Droughts, wildfires, we've seen them. Um, in the news in the most recent years. Um, so what happens? All of these effects uh, on the earth distract our agricultural system and sometimes um, people don't realize that the majority of people who work um, in the agricultural sector are women uh, especially in developing countries so if our climate is affected um, by, this eff by these tremendous uh, climatic disruptions, then it's impossible to achieve the first goal of the Sustainable Development Goal, no poverty, yeah. because yeah. people will need to relocate because they are suffering from droughts and they, their crops are not producing anymore what they were produ the food that they were producing before and this also um, makes it impossible to really achieve the, even the second goal um, which is zero anger yeah. already the people who are working on crops are the ones who um, are the most malnourished in the world and um, the Food and Agricultural Organization in 2017 released, um, released a report that estimated that 80% uh, of the people um, in developing countries are the ones who are producing the food for uh, the developed countries. So um, they are already starting a really impoverished point here and climate change is making it even worse and um, so we see how all of these connections between issues so obviously as I said women are the ones who work the most uh, on crops and when they're forced to relocate they usually leave behind um, their, their husbands who usually are the ones who have jobs in the cities and this is because uh, in developing countries um, there are less infrastructures and transportations for women to go from their homes to cities so it's safer for the men mm -hmm. to go and work in cities mm -hmm. so now we have already like disrupted families now even more because of climate change women traveling to other countries uh, risking their safety, their mental health, their physical health. Uh, yeah. And therefore we, we see how all of these goals are um, really screaming for climate action. So I think it's important to, to underline this because um, sometimes people think that climate change is only 
you know, a disruption of the of the of the weather, and oh, we're getting heat waves, or right. Right. it's the issues go much deeper than that. Yeah, absolutely. I I know that, for example, so many millions of people, refugees from Syria, and that we're living in a time right now where we have more refugees around the world than we've had since the Second World War. And Syria is experiencing a prolonged drought, right? And so there are underlying, often in the news, this appears as some sort of a political problem, and certainly the politics and the regimes play into it. But underlying that are these environmental massive dislocations, right, affecting all kinds of people and especially women and also children, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, women and children uh, and, and young girls are always the ones who, who are most affected, uh, unfortunately. And um, it's, uh, it's interesting because now that you, you brought up this point of, of uh, migration also in Syria, um, this is uh, something that is really not talked about much when we think about the migration crisis. So whenever the news covers, uh, generally, uh, the migration crisis is just focused on migration and migration policy, but migration policy can come without uh, appropriate climate action and climate change policy. Right. Um, and it's really important to connect all of the dots uh, because you might find some people um, who might feel more profound to perhaps like uh, diminish their their footprint uh, if their cause at heart is to, for example, uh, protect children worldwide, uh, but might not perhaps like feel much um, affiliated with the climate change crisis, if that makes sense. Uh, and all of these problems were why they're truly connected. Mm, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, because I know in your research you're coming across a lot of specific examples of what you're talking about. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I don't want to get too dramatic about it in our discussion here, but I think it's really important for, for people to understand what this means at the individual level, the family level specifics. Are there any examples that come to mind for you? Yes, um, definitely. Um, when we talk about these issues, it's always a bit, um, let's say that the, the, the spirit of the conversation is never too happy, but I don't want to get mm -hmm. too dramatic, but mm -hmm. unfortunately these are very serious topics. Mm -hmm. um, recently, well, about a year ago, um, in 2018, I worked alongside um, UN Women and the Sierra Club, uh, the environmental NGO here in the U.S. Um, we worked on a, on a report that actually focused on women and migration due to the climate crisis. And this one is called Women on the Move. And it's free on the Sierra Club website. If uh, It's really also short and concise if mm. people are mm. interested in, uh, in looking that one up. And there are some interesting stories from women who were interviewed actually on the ground about their own experience. And most of them, um, well, the ones who, who really like 
found uh, the strength to even talk about these issues seemed uh, truly um, emotional about the fact that they were finally given light to and a spotlight to really talk about what was happening to them because um, these are issues that truly cause uh, a problem to to mental health of people and mental health is a huge taboo um, in our society and it's not really like spoken about much yeah. and um, we were briefly talking uh, me and you about this before when we were mentioning how you know if if we're not happy that really like impacts everything in our lives uh, it impacts our work and vice versa our relationship to to people around us the energy that we put out there um so yes there are several stories in the in the report and i i can go deep into one if you'd like or we can leave it open for for the audience as we it's, read them, but uh, it's, uh i'll say it's your call what do you do you feel like that is something we should share well, yes, um, I guess I just really want people to like read the stories because they have um, direct quotes from the women interviewed and it's really touching, so I probably won't give it justice myself, mm -hmm. but we're talking about women who alone like traveled miles and miles by feet, um, carrying their children, carrying all of their belongings, uh, just to move to another crop uh, in places where they weren't even welcomed at first uh, mm -hmm. because we're talking about um, impoverished places also so um, people when they're suffering they might tend to you know not exactly being at their best mm -hmm. so they some of them experience sexual violence um, Almost all of them uh, actually were approached by people who wanted to actually like sell them on the black market, mm -hmm. um, but they were able to fortunately um, escape that kind of situation, and that only was op po was possible through the collaboration between groups of women that traveled mm -hmm. together, mm -hmm. and I think this touches on another really important point, which is the collaboration between each other within this community. Whenever we collaborate one with another and we don't see each other as strictly individuals in our own world and with our individual agenda, we really can achieve greater things that mm -hmm. are not possible on our own. Which, on a very positive side of that coin is the 17th the final of the sustainable development goals right partnerships and collaboration absolutely that that shows that this this issue where we have such incredibly vulnerable people women children and that, that there are people men probably almost uh, entirely exploiting that situation for human trafficking and the situation, the last statistic I've heard is that there are at least 30 million slaves and trafficked people worldwide right now. Some of them are in forced labor in agricultural and fishing situations. 
And of course, there's a worldwide human trafficking network that is often dealing with sex slavery. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have these extremely vulnerable populations uh, being targeted, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is actually a topic that unfortunately um, is often even covered up by some uh, governments. And it's, um, it's some kind of information that uh, people are reluctant to even give the people involved who are mm -hmm. doing the research. Um, who are involved in the legal system um, within countries, they are afraid to speak up. Yeah. And um, I wish I could go deeper on that because I did have conversations um, in my own country, especially with people who are involved in, um, you know, within this, um, this system. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously not the traffickers, but um, the people who are trying to tackle this issue, yeah. but they're even uh, afraid of uh, speaking to the news about it because yeah. because unfortunately it's, it's complex because of politics and sure. people are afraid. And I'm always a personal advocate for speaking up, obviously with the right precautions, always. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely tricky to, to address these issues uh, and um, I'm hoping for, for better institutions that can provide solutions to and protection to these individuals. Yeah, well, I, just, I think it's so important for our audience to be able to connect the dots. Many of us are committed and concerned about environmental issues and social justice issues. Right. And I think what we're talking about is one of the most critical nexus points that is happening right now around the world. And it, I think it's just really important that our audience understands that. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, the climate crisis is causing all of these issues uh, mm -hmm. and um, which people might not really think, as I was saying before, that they're caused by the climate. Mm -hmm. And um, it was remarkable last July of 2019 uh, when I was uh, um, volunteering and helping the organization, the youth uh, climate organization, this is Zero Hour, yeah. uh, they had a summit in Miami uh, as a symbol of calling action to, uh, to Miami because it's um, estimated to go underwater, actually. Yeah. Um, we're having a summit there and um, throughout the summit there were different workshops with different topics around climate and one of these um, was women and climate mm -hmm. and um, the people organizing were asking okay so we want you to separate in different groups what are the the connections that you see between women's rights and um, and climate change mm -hmm. and well I started from advantage point because I had already worked on this very issues with UN women and throughout my studies I had um, discovered the dots but the people who were there who were from diverse backgrounds and um, were there to learn mm. didn't know really the the connection so that they were there brainstorming and that was fascinating to see because it really shows how 
how much information we are lacking yeah. from either the the media or even like our educational system to be fair um, on this very issue that it's important when we realize just as people how when we are stronger when we're together we're stronger how all of these issues together are actually what is causing all of the all of the the crisis in this world uh, and so if we can see everything together that helps also to truly work on the individual issues if that makes sense uh, absolutely it makes so much sense you know it's as if so much of the mainstream media is all about a currency of distraction re regardless of what channel you think you like or whatever and that too often education is uh, distractucation or something like that and I am a huge fan of the work that teachers are tirelessly doing in communities all over and often the the curriculum selection is actually out of the hands of the teachers because this is policy set at the state level mm -hmm. and even a couple states here in the United States for example are basically driving the uh, national uh, curriculum in a big way and so a big responsibility we have at the individual level the family level the community level is is helping to make up for that and to share different information and to share different education and I love, I, I love, sorry I'm a word nerd, but I love the word educate because it means to lead out. And we're each educators in all of this work and have the opportunity to do that with and for each other. Absolutely. Which is another element of this strengthening network of collaboration and partnership. Absolutely. And don't apologize for being a, a word, word nerd. nerd. Okay. I think I that's <laughs> fascinating, absolutely. And that's... <laughs> Most definitely interesting to to everyone, to our audience, to me. That's that's great. Well, I, I only apologize smiling, and and I will I will also admit that it, you know in the book and why on earth we talk about seeing through the veil mm -hmm. of the popular media-driven culture and getting to the real story, getting to the real reality of what's happening culturally, what's happening environmentally, what's happening socially, what's happening spiritually, and. I think in a way it's it's a it's a good seg into another element of the work you're doing uh, to talk about the types of knowledge and wisdom and, and a understanding of reality that is carried in indigenous cultures in particular. And I know that you're doing a lot of work around how indigenous wisdom is intimately connected with the environmental, ecological healing and stewardship that is absolutely critical and necessary right now absolutely so i'm wondering if you might speak to that a bit and, and share yes. about that with us of course of course so first of all i want to introduce this topic by saying that um indigenous people are the one who should speak and be given the voice to do this yeah. and so i'm just here really um admiring their their way of life and I'm here alongside with them, like fighting with them and for them. So I want to speak to this issue by recognizing my privilege and um, of being here and like, you know, studying in New York and doing all of these things. Uh, 
um, and recognizing that they must be given the voice to really speak about what is happening in their communities and about their way of life. This is this is like a perfect uh, uh, ad for some of our upcoming episodes. So stay tuned (laughs) on that note. (laughs) Yes. Um, So yes, um, I'm fascinated by by the indigenous way of life because um, indigenous people are truly connected to to Mother Earth and to everything that we just spoken about. Really about our connections and partnerships as people. it's really related to the climate issue because um, all of the climate disruption really like started before the industrial revolution as our western texts tell us it really started with colonization yeah indigenous people are truly um, related to their earth and their cycles and their system. They live in what they call a cosmology of connection mm-hmm. where they see what the earth gives them and they give back to the earth. They don't just take. It's not a culture of extraction and consumerism. They give back to the earth in every way possible they can. And this is how the earth works. It's a cycle. Yeah. And all of the effects that are happening now um, with droughts and etc. are all a sign of what we have been doing wrong since colonization. So um, I'm studying indigenous ecologies and I'm advocating for my indigenous sisters and brothers because uh, first of all they've been completely violated of their human rights and to practice which entails practicing uh, all of these um, rituals but also practices of uh, agriculture for example that respect the earth and don't disrupt the earth Mm -hmm. so um, unfortunately when uh, the colonizers settled into into the the tribes um, they took away all of their system um, they, you know, took away their language, their traditions, everything that was maintaining life in these communities. And um, at this point, some scholars are trying to, to bring back this knowledge in order not only to, in, not only to um, rebalance the earth, so to tackle climate change, but also to truly teach people about the way, the traditional way of life, uh, which is not what we're living today. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, there are um, some um, some studies right now being done on agriculture, for example, um, which is being slowly reintegrated. Um, but there are more and more traditional knowledge uh, especially on agriculture that can truly um, benefit not only the indigenous people but all of us because i've heard this claim um you know but what about us okay we should give the land back to the indigenous people what about us we're all connected Mm. so there's not a distinction between us and them if 
a population is suffering, we're suffering too in a way or, or another. Yeah. Uh, so I want to truly invite people to um, reflect on this, um, this idea of giving back to the earth when taking something, and this can be done through, for example, through composting, yes. um, which is probably one of the <laughs> this is exactly which is probably one of the ways that uh, we've been seeing this idea uh, portrayed in the Western society. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's not as popular yet, but I guess we're getting there. Um, but this. Um, really connects also with our ability to connect to Earth, uh, also through um, appreciating uh, the the sun that we see every day, or that we might not see, and the elements, the air and the water, because we might undermine their importance, especially in a Western society. But all of these elements give life yeah. to our food. Uh, to us because we couldn't live without like either of the elements so um, indigenous people truly have the knowledge and take care of this knowledge um, so that, you know this is something um, you know that belongs to to history but it's uh, it's it's reality yes and I see you want to add something. Oh, you can. <laughs> I just, I'm so excited on this point. Uh, we were just a couple of days ago in upstate New York mm -hmm. visiting with Mohawk leaders, elders, uh, grandmothers who are forming a project called the Three Sisters Sovereignty Project, where the Mohawk people, and I'm part Mohawk, so I'm, I'm a 12.5% Mohawk, and I was actually joking with Chief. Roger Jock about I don't know which twelve and a half percent and he's like you're you're mine in your heart and I was like yeah perfect and uh, we did a ceremony up there and he sang to the water and he sang in gratitude for all the things and this is part of the morning waking up way of life and what's so amazing about these times in in my opinion is that our science is actually becoming rather sophisticated now and is starting to catch up and to understand that indeed those gestures are actually affecting the material physical world and more importantly the biospheric, the living uh, cycles and energy flows in this world. Mm -hmm. And we'll have a long discussion, you know, we have time for friends to catch up on that. There's so much research coming out right now, don't, don't get stressed if that sounds stressful to you. <laughs> but one of the ceremonies that Roger and, and our friend uh, Tiffany Hope shared with us is called the scattering of the ashes and so traditionally one would keep the fire all through the year burning medicines special herbs and plants with special properties and at the end of the cycle around the time of winter solstice or a little past in the depths of winter the ceremony is to take these ashes around to the whole village have everyone stir and connect and then they get scattered back into the landscape. Wow. Well, this is also distributing micronutrients. Absolutely. This is doing so much. So it's sometimes we, perhaps the way we were taught in grade school or whatever, these are kind of like neat, fanciful stories. And we, we dress up and do weird plays that are now considered objectionable. What 
most of us probably don't really understand is that many of these indigenous cultures and lifeways are maintaining knowledge about maintenance of ecosystems, i.e. this is how the spaceship works, right? The spaceship, we're all in space together, we're on a spaceship together, and these Absolutely. life support systems on some level require of us that, that reciprocity that you're speaking to, that relationship of when we take, we give back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the, the water element, right? Mm. Um, because water is life. Yeah. And this is one of the slogans of uh, indigenous people, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a really important topic, especially when we're talking about the, these major pipelines that corporations want to build, mm -hmm. which then um, spill in the waterways of indigenous people, some like most likely yeah. because uh, all of these pipelines are mostly built away from big cities, right? And this also touches upon the huge element of environmental environmental injustice, yeah. um, which happens even around the corner um, in cities like New York, for example, mm -hmm. all over the world where um, harmful waste is usually dumped in poor neighborhoods, uh, in uh, neighborhoods uh, most likely of people of color. So um, I see how this, these issues that relate to indigenous people definitely relate also to what are considered minorities uh, in, uh, in big cities and um, in, in developed countries. So. Um, the issue of ro of water is truly important because I feel that some, you know, um, especially in in the developed countries where water is abundant or at least seems abundant, uh, is truly undermined. People use it, leave the sink open, don't think about it, um, don't celebrate it, mm. just like indigenous people do because we take it for granted, but. You know, um, unfortunately, water is becoming scarce, and it's uh, the lifeblood of Earth, and um, we desperately need to work on our water usage and water celebration because it gives life. Without water, we wouldn't be here. Our body is mostly water, mm -hmm. so. Yes, yeah, so beautiful, absolutely. Well, let me. Um pause there and I'm, I'm very excited to ask you a particular question Great. on Great. that note mm -hmm. but let me remind our audience that this is the why on earth communities stewardship and sustainability podcast series and we are visiting today with Ludovica Martella at the new school in New York City to get more information about Ludovica's work you can go to her blog which is let's talk about it dot space We'll have all the spellings in the show, show notes. You can also find her on Instagram at lmartella, on Twitter at l underscore martella, and on LinkedIn at Ludovica Martella. Uh, also, we're going to talk about B Corporations a little bit, which you can find information at bcorporation.net. And there's a great uh, resource here on agroforestry, which we'll be getting to at the uh, 
fao.org site slash forestry slash agroforestry slash en. want to take the opportunity to thank all of the sponsors who make this podcast possible. And that includes our corporate sponsors and allies, Association of Waldorf Schools of North America, Earth Coast Productions, Equal Exchange, the International Society of Sustainability Professionals, the Lidge Family Foundation, Madeira Outdoor, Patagonia, and Wele Waters. And I want to give a special shout out to all of the individuals in the Why on Earth community who have joined our monthly giving program to support all of this work with the podcast, our media resources, as well as all of our community mobilization actions around the country and increasingly uh, through our ambassador network internationally. Now, if you haven't yet joined the monthly giving program, you can do so at any level that works best for you just by going to whyonearth.org support or just click on the donate button on the homepage. And when you join the monthly giving program, I will send you a code for unlimited free downloads of all of our ebook and audio products, uh, audiobook products, so that you can share with friends, with families, with colleagues at work, neighbors, uh, anyone in your network you think will uh, benefit uh, from all of those resources. So that'll be yours when you join the monthly giving program. Again, a huge thanks for everybody supporting this work and helping us communicate and spread the ideas, the knowledge, the wisdom, the way that we are here today. And on that note, I want to ask, it's clear you're carrying a lot of knowledge and wisdom. And I also note that you are a native Italian speaker. And one of the things we talk about, I actually talked about it in the book and why on earth is that we're, we're all indigenous to some place on the planet and to some culture connected to some place on the planet. And it's only a matter of how far back in time and how much recovery work is perhaps at hand in order to reestablish, reconnect, reinvigorate that reality. And I'm, I'm just curious for you, how does your ethnic and linguistic heritage inform this work and what's that sense of connection you have specifically maybe even with with water mm. to that part of the world that is a very interesting question um and it's a tough one to answer because i'm actually in the middle of doing research on my heritage yeah. um because uh unfortunately with the elements that i have um you know, through like family stories and things of this sort, I wasn't, I haven't been able to go back that much um, into my family history. Um, you know, obviously people recognize Italy as being like in Europe, so obviously it's, um, it doesn't very much like connect with like what indigenous history is. Um, and this honestly like adds up like a very heavy emotional toll on me when I'm uh, doing this work and researching because I feel so
so deeply and sincerely connected with uh, the indigenous cosmology and way of being. And I always thought, because of where I come from, that I was, you know, like crazy or like I believed in magic and, um, you know, I always felt a bit like outside of the norm or what is considered the norm. Uh, but since I started, especially with my connection to water, like since I was little, I always felt like truly connected to water. Mm. And um, since I started um, studying and researching, and especially talking to wonderful young uh, leaders, indigenous leaders that I met at the Zero Hour Summit in Miami this past summer, um, I truly understood um, like why I feel so connected, especially as a woman, mm. to water mm. and to this kind of work. Um, and now I feel like I have a place, it's sort of like feeling like I have a family, um, even though most people wouldn't recognize me as like being an indigenous person. Mm. Um, this is a very controversial topic because I spoke to some indigenous um, people who told me, yes, everyone is indigenous, everyone was indigenous at some point, and others who told me, oh, I actually like, don't believe that, like mm -hmm. not everyone <laughs> is indigenous. Mm. Um, so that is something I'm still working through, so like going deep into my heritage, but um, yes, I <coughs> just wanted to um, really point out that um, you know, after I spoke to indigenous leaders and they told me exactly like what we share right now, like our connection to the elements uh, and they explained to me like why we're connected and why we're all the same uh, and it's not like humans have a higher place uh, within this earth. That really made sense to me. and. Um, it's something that I invite everyone to to look into, and I have to thank um, you know the leaders like Jay Slane Charger um, from the Standing Rock uh, uh, movement, uh, to, uh, Tokata Iron Eyes. Uh, um, they were just some of the the people who spoke to me and gave a wonderful panel on indigenous women mm. and um, how they're connected to the climate change fight mm. and they really inspired me and I, that's when I decided to to really go deeper into this work so I'm not sure if I I know that's a bit of a larger answer pretty much but I, I absolutely appreciate <laughs> you sharing that with us and uh, thank you, thank you for that. Yeah, that's, of course, of course. It's something that I'm really trying to to, to tackle down my, my heritage. It's, um, it's tricky. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, have a, I have a book I'm going to have to talk with you about after, after we're done recording. Oh, of course. That'll, that'll be fun. I love that. Um, You've been connecting in with, with more and more of these uh, amazing and powerful indigenous activists. And uh, some of them are in the youth movement, right? Yes. Um, I, I was hoping you could share a bit with us about 
from your vantage point, what do you see happening? What What's going on right now with that? Uh, from like the youth environmental movement or mm -hmm. in general? Like the youth, the yeah, the youth. Well, um, it's a topic that gets me really excited and hopeful um, for the future because uh, um, as you have seen, uh, this past climate strike, which was completely youth-led, yeah. um, was one... It was amazing. Yes. It was amazing. It was amazing and it actually broke the world records uh, ever for like a climate strike that has ever happened um, in history, so uh, worldwide. Mm -hmm. So I think we're really experiencing a rare moment in history right yeah. now. Um, the youth obviously feel um, compelled to get out of school, mm. right? Because it happened on a Friday. So, mm. um, and really ask permission from faculty, institutions, their parents, uh, because they care about. Uh, what their future is going to look like. Yes. Mm. It's extremely important that the youth takes a step uh, into the climate movement because they are the ones who are going to be suffering uh, from uh, all of the emissions and extractions uh, from the major corporations and the fossil fuel industries. And we're seeing truly like I have goosebumps like thinking about mm. it and speaking about it because we're seeing like huge mobilizations and also attention in the media finally about this grassroots movement uh, and the climate justice movement. Um, and we're seeing how indigenous uh, youth activists are truly present in this fight too, which makes me really happy because usually, you know, they're left behind. Um, there were marvelous indigenous speakers at the um, New York March, mm -hmm. which ga mm -hmm. gave great um, speeches and really inspired the crowds. Um, and there has been talk about, um, you know, how privileged like a person, uh, who I respect greatly, uh, of course, for her work, but like Greta Thunberg, um, like how privileged she has been more than other mm -hmm. Um, indigenous leaders who have been doing this work for years. So already the fact that there is this kind of conversation happening shows that people's um, people's realities are changing in a way. They're not focused only on what the westernized world <coughs> is presenting to them, but they're recognizing that there is more to that. And therefore, these other leaders are also getting more attention because there are people who stand with them and they see them and they want to give them a voice. So that's why I was really happy to see um, people on stages from different communities having a space to talk about these issues. Absolutely. And it was so powerful to be there and to experience at the march in particular the speeches that were given at uh, Battery Park. and. I gotta give a quick shout out to Shie Bastida, who's mm -hmm. on the Why on Earth Community's Global Advisory Board, and she comes from a, a very interesting background, right? She's native, indigenous uh, Toltec in Central America, as well as uh, indigenous Celtic in Europe. Yeah. And um, just wonderful to see her leadership and hear her clarity of voice. I was 
at a conference with her a couple months back, our day, in uh, the Rocky Mountains up in Colorado. And we had retired generals, we had presidential candidates, we had some very accomplished and polished speakers addressing the audience there. I'm just glancing over at Joni Clark, who's off camera. She's also one of our Global Advisory Board members. And hi, Joni. Hi. <laughs> hi. So happy to be here. Yes. Well, you know, she, at 17 years old, commanded the room with her genuine oration, her ability to communicate that frankly dwarfed what a lot of these experts, polished uh, leaders uh, were doing. And it's not at all to compare and contrast, but just to highlight and emphasize how strong her voice is, along with so many other indigenous and, and youth leaders. There, there seems to be such an awakening, such a convergence, and such a, an upswell of empowerment and vocalization of what's happening and what needs to be done. And it gives me great hope. I just, I'm, I'm, I feel so much joy knowing that we are in a critical situation. It is a crisis. We have to act. We have to do everything we can do. And there are more and more of us engaging day by day with incredible knowledge and wisdom like you're sharing with us today coming through. Yes, uh, she's amazing. Uh, I've actually seen her as well. She was recently, this past weekend, at the Global Citizen um, concert happening in, uh, which happened in Central Park, where she also had a chance to speak about climate uh, activism and the, cli and the youth climate movement, uh, along with other uh, climate activists. So um, I, I, I completely agree. She has a very strong voice and. I'm truly happy that we're seeing these young women, um, you know, indigenous women especially, who have a history of, you know, like being truly, you know, uh, undermined and uh, to, to not use like, you know, other words, but um, they're finally reclaiming their power and they're being given the space and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. I think it's the start of a great movement uh, and it gives me hope as well, for sure. Mm, absolutely beautiful. Well, another amazing movement that's underway is the B Corp movement, right? And I, I wanna make sure we have a couple minutes to talk about that because sure. it really is among the core and the key calls to action for our audience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, tell us, um, what's going on with, with B Corporations and what, what can we do in you know, regular day-to-day -day life about that? Of course. So yes, the B Corporations are actually a group of private sector, so companies that um, truly care about following certain sustainable uh, practices. So um, everything that comes from um, their supply chains, how they source their material, um, how they manufacture their material, everything uh, is done by really making sure that the environment is not disrupted, that the people who work are paid, are taken care of, and they're not used. Um, and so 
the audience can actually go to the link that you provided and which will also be in the notes of the episode because uh, on this website there is a list of all of the corporations uh, which are actually embracing these principles and um, I'm happy to to say that more and more are joining like each year and this is a movement worldwide uh, that is happening and the importance of the private se- uh, sector in within the climate movement and the reduction of fossil fuels and also all of the uh, these other issues human issues that we've spoken about uh, really has a great root in what the private sector decides to embrace mm-hmm. right um we also have a power as consumers, of course, to drive what the private sector decides to um, embrace as principles. Um, mm. uh, so the more that we will request uh, like transparency uh, from what we eat or, for example, you know, what we buy, this will drive corporations to, because obviously if they're losing money, they're going to be driven to create like better sustainable practices and products uh, um, there are huge issues with the food industry um, the clothing industry which uses tons and tons of water just to produce uh, you know a new fashion line every two months mm-hmm. uh, which is also called fast fashion mm-hmm. um, and also the cosmetic industry which um, truly is filled for the majority with harmful chemicals uh, such as petroleum as well and these are things that are not really like spoken about but um, grassroots organizations alongside private sector companies are informing each other by um, actually studying what is happening on a small scale in communities um, for example, there is a nonprofit called We Act in Harlem, which um, is organizing a study on the community because um, women up in Harlem have been experiencing uh, skin rashes and like health problems, yeah. especially those who work in nail salons yeah. and yeah. hair salons, because the products that are cheaper to use, especially and obviously are cheaper to buy, are the ones who are most filled with these chemicals. Yeah. Um, so I truly invite people to like look into like the products that they're using and um, to perhaps you know use um, second-handed like clothing and um, (coughs) things of this sort can truly help the climate crisis as we said it's all connected absolutely it's so beautiful I, I love the way you're weaving all of this together and uh, by the way, in our um, soil stewardship webinar, we have a few vignettes, one of which is going to a secondhand clothing store. And it was so fun. We had so much fun recording it. Um, we, we also, in that same webinar, uh, visited a Patagonia store in Colorado. Mm. And of course, Patagonia is a B Corporation, yes. um, one of the leaders approaching a billion dollars a year in sales. They are having real impact, positive impact on regenerative agriculture, on social justice and sustainable economic development in the interest of communities all over. Of course, now at their launch of their food line, it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. And, and the fact that we did not, we did not talk about this ahead of time, folks. I'm, I'm serious here. We have a special announcement 
Um, and the fact that Ludovica naturally started talking about cosmetics is amazing to me because we are announcing a partnership with Beauty Counter and Beauty Counter is also a B Corp and they are partnered in a deep way with the um, environmental working group EWG, a, a toxicity lab doing all kinds of studies on all kinds of ingredients on cosmetics, health and beauty products for men and women and their lines are very clean. Uh, they're in the process of switching all their packaging from plastic to glass. Wow. And uh, because of our partnership, you'll, everyone, you can link on the uh, beauty counter links you'll see on the podcast page as well as on the sponsorship page in the community section of the website. And by going to beauty counter through the Why on Earth link, a portion of the proceeds will actually come back to support the work of the Why on Earth community. So that's just an amazing, um, uh, synergy it's serendipitous I'm, uh, I'm I'm blown away but not surprised um, and the, the, the thing uh, it is so critical it's affecting water it's affecting our own health and well-being you know every day when we get in the shower when we're getting ready for the day doing whatever we do to get ready we have a very basic choice we're either basically putting carcinogens all over our body. Our skin is our largest organ, highly porous, absorbs everything. Uh, or, not everything, that's not literal. That, that was an exaggeration, absorbs a lot. Or we can use these very clean and uh, plant-based products that are not carcinogenic, not harmful, and perhaps are even adding to our health and well-being through the phytonutrients and all of the other properties of the plant uh, kingdom. So just, just a tremendous uh, example of in all these different sectors, food, beverage, clothing, cosmetics, health and beauty, all cleaning products, right? Oh yes, that's a big one too. The choices are, 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 are in, a, in a way stark. I mean, it's kind of like the why, the one way, the other way. But the good news is there are so many amazing companies Absolutely. making really, really beautiful products available now. Yes, absolutely. And most of them, uh, you know, really support the work of um, of people in developing countries, uh, small mm -hmm. family businesses. Uh, and uh, most of them, in contrast to what uh, most people think, are not more expensive than the products that, you know, are filled with chemicals, actually. Yes. So uh, I encourage people to look at their options. Absolutely. Sure. And when it comes to food, we start making a connection to uh, the agriculture and agroforestry opportunities, right? And and I, I wanted to make sure we took uh, some time to speak about that because I know you've been doing a lot of research in that arena as well. Yes, yeah, sure. Do you want me to speak about something in particular in that sense? Uh, well, sure. What maybe you could tell us what what is agroforestry? How how does that look and work? And yeah, what's a great example perhaps of of how you're seeing that uh, deployed and activated? Well, um, something that is actually you know relevant to what is happening right now in the Amazon. Um, there are um, communities, indigenous communities in the Amazon, which are applying agroforestry, uh, which, um, to put it into simple words, is essentially a system of agriculture where there is um, absolutely no eradication of like the soil or the water, but everything is 
really like left to sustain itself so it really embraces the idea of like uh, the cycle of life mm -hmm. and how um, actually both um, like animals and plants can cooperate together mm -hmm. without using the monoculture of you know um, planting just which means like just planting one type of product on the soil repeatedly until it's exhausted yeah. um, and unfortunately um, you know the agroforestry industry um, is not as large as it should be it mm -hmm. was in the past um, but now with the uh, crisis that is happening in the Amazon at least um, this Amazon communities uh, which are applying agroforestry are being um, you know uh, are getting more attention because mm. they're claiming for justice and showing how there is an alternative uh, to like the Western way of like practicing agriculture mm. pretty much um, and there are some interesting short videos um, documentaries on this which mm. we perhaps like link as well um, which show some examples uh, uh, in practice because people need to see this it's 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 beautiful like how it looks it just looks like a forest right yes. but it actually maintains itself and it produces food and nutrients and everything you need without yes. disrupting the environment absolutely beautiful and and so th those resources are through the fao.org site is that right yes um, that's a more um like i would say like literate piece so it doesn't include mm -hmm. like videos mm -hmm. but i can um share more like actual videos yeah we'll add in a, a link for that that'd be great and then uh back to the responsible fashion we also have a link here goodonyou.eco right yes Cool. So Gronyu is uh, an app that was actually recommended through a friend who works uh, um, for sustainable uh, fashion, advocating for sustainable fashion and um, it's an app that uh, essentially tells you what are the companies that um, are sustainable, so like what products they use, uh, the condition of their workers, uh, obviously they um, you know they use materials such as hemp for example mm -hmm. um, and uh, most importantly they really tackle the their usage of water as being like the minimum as possible and um, you know recycled materials etc and you have to see the, the, the these brands and their products it just it looks like you know just like regular clothes Great. right like high-end clothes Clothing. Wonderful. So that's good on you. I'm just thrilled that we've had the opportunity to visit with you today, Ludovica, and I know that we'll be staying in touch and collaborating and perhaps doing some events together uh, in, in the coming weeks and months. And before we sign off, I just I want to give you an opportunity if you have any final comments, thoughts, or uh, and or uh, calls to action to share with our audience. That would be wonderful. Yes, for sure. Well, we definitely have uh, touched upon some of the points. I feel like I've made some call for action um, yeah. <laughs> throughout this episode already. But um, just to um, really like conclude this conversation, I would like everyone to, first of all, 
go vote, which is extremely important for these issues to be tackled. We must recognize our privilege uh, of being able to vote and our freedom to voice our opinion. That is extremely important, so no excuses, just go vote. Um, another important thing um, that can truly make a difference is to keep on having conversations like this and trying to open our minds to what hasn't really been taught um, within like our upbringing whatever issue it is like gender issues climate issue identity issues uh, it's important to keep on having conversations and to really join forces one uh, with the other because we're not alone in this society which wants us to feel alone so that we cons can consume more products and more resources but we're actually all connected one to the other and um, go down in the street and uh, protest if you can as well because we have the freedom to do that and therefore we should support the youth especially that is doing this tremendous work and we need help from all sorts of like generations and sectors um, in order to really achieve climate justice. Absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you so much Ludovica. It's thank wonderful you for talking having with you. me. Thank you for having me. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. Though. Beautiful. Bye-bye. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org backslash support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WHYONEARTH, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.